Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. As I sit here in my office drinking my raspberry salt, element water, and coffee before 12 p.m., right? Because 12 p.m. is my cutoff for coffee, although I will have an iced matcha latte later in the day with unsweetened almond milk. What I know for sure as I'm sitting here deep down in my gut is that perimenopause is a big, epic deal because it is a big, epic transition that deserves more attention. Hands down, one of the biggest, most overlooked areas in a woman's health journey is the transition to menopause known as perimenopause. And I would argue that perimenopause is the critical 10 plus year window that shapes our future health outcomes. And the reason why I really want to impart that is that right now here in 2023, our health outcomes are not looking so great after menopause. Also important to note that by 2030, 13 plus million women will be in menopause here in the US, which is about 50% of the adult female population. And when I look at that timeline, I am one of those 13 million women. And let me tell you, all of us that are in the perimenopause spectrum right now, we know that our bodies are changing. We know that our hormones are shifting and declining. We know that our metabolism isn't what it used to be. We know that our energy isn't what it used to be. Our sleep isn't as great. We feel foggy and brain fog. We're having a hard time concentrating. We're dealing with night sweats and hot flashes, stubborn belly fat, and weight resistance that just doesn't seem to budge, along with so many other disruptive symptoms. And we know that these are things that we need to address because there is underlying root causes. And what I'm gonna show you today and really demonstrate with the research is that that underlying root cause is rooted in our metabolic health. So as I mentioned, our health outcomes, not looking so great after menopause. And here are the stats that I've shared on the podcast before and on Instagram. And why I am so concerned about not only the women in perimenopause, but also the women who are in menopause and postmenopause. I just know that perimenopause is the pivoting point where we get to go in one of two directions, right? A direction towards a better health outcome or a direction towards a not so great health outcome. So currently today, women by the age of 45 are more likely than men to be overweight or have obesity, a significant risk factor for diabetes. 88% of women by the age of 45 have at least one marker of metabolic dysfunction Often it is insulin resistance, which is one of the main root causes of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and dementia. Approximately 66 of Alzheimer's disease patients are women, and more women than men will die of cardiovascular disease, the number one killer in women. Now, a common thread when looking at these statistics is hormone and metabolic dysfunction in women are having a profoundly negative impact on the long-term health outcomes of women. Now, current research points to metabolic dysfunction as a root cause of those many chronic diseases that I mentioned earlier, which is obesity, diabetes, heart disease, stroke, and dementia. But there is a growing body of evidence that a number of the consequences of poor metabolic health hit women much harder than men in multiple areas, including reproductive, cardiovascular, and neurological systems. So given this, and given where we're at in this journey, the question that we need to be asking ourselves in this very important period of our insanely busy life, because let's be honest, I think the reason why perimenopause gets missed by so many of us is we are doing the most right now, right? We are driving careers. We are running the household. We are taking care of our families. We are dealing with all of the things in our, in our communities and in our sphere. We are the busiest we've ever been. And so it is easy to put ourselves on the back burner until we just cannot ignore the symptoms anymore. So what we need to be asking ourselves is this, what simple lifestyle and female biohacking strategies can I implement today that will help me keep my metabolism and hormones balanced so that I feel more energized, lean, and alive tomorrow? 
Like, what can I do today that's going to have me feeling more alive? What's going to maintain my aliveness? And also, what's going to help me feel and have my body be as young as possible for as long as possible, right? It's not just about a dealing with and correcting the disruptive symptoms that you have right now, which 100%, those need to be addressed. You do not deserve to suffer needlessly, like none of us do, right? We are taking care of too many people for that to be a case. But also, how do we set ourselves up for success today by overcoming these disruptive symptoms and because we address these disrupt symptoms by getting to the root cause of what's going on, we are able to push back chronic diseases further down the road, right? So that they're not popping up at, in our 50s or 60s, right? That they don't come until much later. We deserve to shift these statistics. We deserve to feel amazing and to have great metabolic health in our mid-40s. And that's exactly what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Now, the truth is, depending on how we take care of our bodies during the perimenopause transition really can determine how our bodies are going to thrive for the rest of our lives. Now, I think I've made it clear that this is a big transition and it deserves our attention. For many women, perimenopause, especially the last five years leading to menopause, are the most challenging because symptoms like unexplained weight gain, extreme fatigue, endless sleepless nights, hot flashes, night sweats, migraines, anxiety, unexplained mood swings, brain fog and heavy bleeding can hit you all at once. This number of disruptive hormone symptoms and metabolic symptoms, by the way, I know so often we blame a lot of that on our hormones, but it really is our metabolic health too. And yes, do our hormones rule the roost when it comes to our metabolic health? Mm -hmm, They absolutely do. But we have to know that this is very complex. There is a lot of moving parts. And so what I'm going to be sharing with you today are going to be addressing both the shifting of your hormones and also the shifting of your metabolism. Now, I know that it can be beyond discouraging when you feel like you don't have a real viable solution to address most of these issues. Most doctors are going to offer you birth control pills, an IUD, or hormone replacement therapy, or maybe even an anti-anxiety or an antidepressant. Um, But these solutions don't address most of the root cause issues driving the symptoms that I mentioned earlier, right? They are not addressing the fact that your hormones are shifting and declining. They are not addressing the fact that your metabolic markers could be off, even if your labs say that everything is normal, right? We know that a lot of the the normals on our standard lab tests um, don't always reflect what's happening in our bodies. And this is one of the reasons why I've spent this entire year creating my metabolism and hormone reset course to offer a very comprehensive plan to optimize your metabolism, to optimize your hormones and your mitochondria, your sleep, your stress, your nutrition, your gut and liver health. And what's so nice is that it's available right now if you want the blueprint for feeling your very best for many years to come while also addressing your most disruptive symptoms today. And a lot of what I'm going to be sharing with you is actually inside of the course in a way that you can easily implement. Now, I'm going to give you a lot of strategies today, but I know it can be hard to start executing on those strategies. I've shared a lot of what is inside of the course on many, 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 many episodes inside of the podcast. But what I always hear from women who reach out to me is like, how do I put this all together? How can I get this organized? How do I actually take that first step? Like, I know what the, I know what the issues are. I know what the, the kind of the resistance is when it comes to actually making those big needle moving changes. I know because I'm doing them myself as well. And so the reason why I created the course was that having random podcast episodes with like, okay, here's a, a sleep protocol, or here's a blood sugar protocol, or here's a how to boost testosterone protocol it isn't always helpful when you don't have it in a way that's organized that you can actually begin to take steps towards making improvements. It's also hard to stay motivated when you're not experiencing wins out the gate. And so that's the reason why I decided to put it into a format that made it just so easy to put into your life, to make like to make easy to do in your day-to-day activities despite all the other things that you are doing in your world. Okay, so the best way 
to navigate this big transition from being fertile and having an ovulatory cycle to menopause, right? It feels like such a big, like how do we shift from monthly cycles every single month to nothing, right? What does that look like? Um, And it's really important to understand what's going on and make a plan to support your body throughout from the beginning or at any stage you are in. Like there are so many episodes where I break down the three stages of perimenopause. I'm not gonna do that in today's episode, but note that there are multiple stages in perimenopause. That perimenopause isn't just one big stage. Like it starts in our mid to late 30s with very subtle shifts and changes, but like you notice. And then you start to really notice things in your early to mid 40s, right? That's when things really begin to shift. And then you head into your late 40s and it can feel like you are in the middle of a, you know, a massive storm. You're in the eye of the storm. And then you get towards the end of perimenopause and you're kind of like in this perpetual waiting room. So it's important to kind of know where you're at, but just note that all the recommendations that I'm going to be giving you really are designed to support you from 35 on. So you can implement these at any, any point that you want. But here's the good news is that there's so much that we can do and there are so many side benefits to making simple changes that I'm going to be sharing with you today in this episode. I want you to know that although your body is indeed changing a lot, there are adjustments that you can make to significantly ease this transition and have you feeling like you are entering into a new epic beginning, right? That you're entering into menopause with poise and grace and ease and that you feel freaking amazing. Like they're, you're crushing it, right? If we can really set the tone in perimenopause, man, we really set ourselves up for incredible success and vitality in menopause and postmenopause. And that's what I want for you, right? We have so many more years after 52 years old, which is the average age that we hit menopause, so many more. And I want you to feel like you're able to do whatever you want in those years after 52 years old. Now, if you want to dive deeper into how to really prepare for menopause on a mental and emotional level, like getting really clear with your vision and your why, and what does it really mean to usher into this next new transition, definitely check out episode 362 with Susan Wilson. It was titled, Why Women Over 40 Should Pay Special Attention to Their Beliefs About Menopause. This episode really dives into our beliefs about menopause and how we can ask ourselves key questions to get clarity on who we want to become in that next chapter. Now, a couple things to note that are very important about successfully navigating the perimenopause transition. First, you gotta want to embrace the physical and emotional changes and be open to making adjustments to your body and health because whether you like it or not, your body is making adjustments and changes. You just gotta decide, am I going to change with my body? Am I gonna optimize my body throughout these changes? And here's the thing, not not the easiest task in the world. Like your body is really asking you to step up to the plate. Um, The one constant that exists for women is that our bodies are always changing, especially during perimenopause. And I think the reason why it feels extra jarring in perimenopause is because we are so busy and we have so much going on and we are getting older, right? And so it could feel like some of these changes are inevitable, or that there's nothing we can do about it. Um, or this is just, you know, this is this is just the time to throw in the towel. But none of these things need to be true at all, right? You often the research and the recommendations haven't really supported our overall longevity. Like we've really had to bio- biohack ourselves to figure out what's going on with ourselves. But there is more and more research coming out that really demonstrates that we can thrive. In, in not only through perimenopause, but in menopause and beyond. And that's what really, really what I'm trying to offer you today. The second thing, you got to decide that you are worthy of focusing on you because implementing these changes to support your body will take some time and it's going to take some work, right? But I promise the payoff is so worth it, not only for these transitional years, but again, but the many years to come well after menopause, where so much of the magic happens for many of us. And I just, you know, when it comes to getting clear, my my recommendation here, and this is actually the, the start of the, the metabolism and hormone reset course in module one, the first thing that I have you do is I have you imagine you your future healthy self 30 days from now, 90 days from now, yeah, now a year from now, 
but I want you to imagine like who she is. How does she feel? What is she doing? What is she not doing? You know, what are the things that are non-negotiable for her? So that first step, before we can even create a plan and start implementing strategies and protocols, we got to get really clear on who we are becoming in stepping into that healthier version of ourselves. And so that's that first part is you can get really clear on the why for why you want to get healthy, who you're looking to become, how you're wanting to feel. Man, you get so crystal clear on the plan and the vision. Then it's just a matter of executing the steps. And when we can tap into that why and tap into who we're trying and who we are going to become, man, the rest becomes so much easier. And again, that's the first step in this course is walking you through module one, getting into those really important, deep questions of you discovering who your future vision self is. And once you're clear on that, man, the rest just starts to feel so much easier. Okay, now that we are clear and you are feeling pretty committed to you, let's just say that you are right now, um, and you're committed to optimizing your health with a few strategic changes, um, I want you to know that by committing to this, by committing to you, by being open to making some really incredible pivots, that you are really going to feel great throughout your 40s, 50s, and beyond. You know, and no matter who, how, no matter how old you are right now listening to this, any of these recommendations can really serve you in your journey. And I just want to say that this is a message that I always need to hear myself because our, our health is always changing, right? It's always, it's always adapting and changing. And it's an important reminder to be really clear. Like I, on my phone, I have a voice memo where it's like a two minute voice memo where I, I'm, I'm speaking as my future healthy self. And when I created this voice memo, um, it was early January of 2023. And so how I'm speaking to myself or who I've become is my healthier version of myself in on December 31st, 2023. So basically a year later. And I just explain, I just share how I'm feeling, what I'm doing, what's working for me, the outcomes that I've experienced, you know, what I'm able to do, how I'm able to realize my dreams so much easier. Like I really embody. And so every single day I listen to this voice memo. It's one of the first things I do in the morning. I do it when I'm brushing my teeth or I'm making coffee for Alex and myself. And I just listen to my future healthy vision self. I listen to how she's operating the world. What is she doing? Uh, what is she committed to? What has she been committed to? And how she sounds and feels. And that just really primes me up to set the tone for my day in a way that's really going to honor who I am becoming. So that's just a little kind of a little hack that I do. I do it every single year. Like the very beginning of January, I imagine, I, I ask myself some important question prompts. And if you're interested in those question prompts, again, it's all built into module one of the metabolism course, but I can do a full episode on those questions so that you kind of, it really gets you primed. And then once I get those questions answered, I kind of write out my, my healthy vision self. And then from there, I read it a couple of times and then I record a two to three minute audio that I can go back and listen to every single day. So that's just something to consider. That way I know that I'm fully committed and every single day I wake up committed towards taking those daily action steps, those daily lifestyle and biohacking strategies to get me to her, right? Because she's already there. She's already living that life. She already feels that way. I'm just walking towards her, executing the habits and the lifestyle strategies to become her. So I hope that is helpful. So now that we're committed together, let's dive into some non-negotiable pivots so that you sail through this transition with ease and grace. The first thing I'm going to recommend is know your numbers. I'm talking about your lab numbers. It is so important to have a baseline lab kind of report of where you are at. No matter where you are in your health journey, no matter what your age is, but especially in perimenopause and later, um, it's important to know what's going on with our hormones, what's going on with our metabolisms, what's happening with our blood sugar levels, what's going on with our cholesterol levels, what's going on with our inflammatory markers. All this is really going to matter because we're going to want to make sure that we're keeping these optimized throughout as many years as we can, right? For as long as possible. So again, have your baseline labs 
If you're listening to this and you are in your 20s or your 30s, I highly recommend having baseline labs as early as your early 30s, even late 20s. So you can really compare as you go through your 30s, your 40s, your 50s and beyond because you're gonna know what was happening with your body. What were your labs like, right? Versus the kind of the standard deviation of of labs that were given. Um, But this becomes especially important in perimenopause because again, things are shifting and we are seeing again, metabolic markers um, heading into the the red zone. And we're seeing higher levels of insulin resistance. Like 88% of us have insulin resistance by the time we're like our mid 40s. Super scary. So again, knowing these numbers is so, so important. So here is a list of labs that I recommend to every single woman to get ran once a year to get a picture of your overall basic health. Now, note that the majority of these labs that I'm about to list off are often ordered by your primary care physician, but you may have to really, you know, plead your case for them. Maybe there's health history of cardiovascular disease or type 2 diabetes. Maybe you've got some pretty severe symptoms that you want to know, is any of this attributing to your symptoms? So again, if you give your doctors a why for really digging in, you will will hopefully get your labs ran. Okay, so the ones that I know that you won't have any problems getting approved is going to be a full lipid panel. So what a full lipid panel includes is total cholesterol, HDL, LDL, triglycerides. Um, See if you can get an ApoB. That one's going to be a little bit harder to get, but see if you can get it. It's a better predictor of cardiovascular disease than than these other ones, although triglycerides can be a really good predictor. Also, triglycerides are a great predictor of insulin resistance as well. So if they're up, I don't ideally want them above 100 milligrams per deciliter, but if they're they're closer to 150, that's most likely a sign of insulin resistance. Next is a complete blood panel. So they are always going to run a CBC. You don't even need to ask for it. They're going to be looking at your white blood cells, your red blood cells, all of that, just to make sure everything's looking good there. Next, you want to ask for a metabolic panel that's going to be looking at your liver enzymes. It's going to be looking at sodium and potassium and just really looking at what's going on on a cellular level. Vitamin D3. So again, 66 plus percent of us have a deficiency in vitamin D levels worth running you may have to really ask for that. Um, Ferritin and iron. So ask for an iron panel, which they'll probably do. Um, C-reactive protein. Um, This is important to, this is one of a basic inflammatory marker of knowing if you're dealing with inflammation or not. And then you can kind of dig deeper into where that's coming from. Probably the gut, but it could be somewhere else. Um, It could be over-exercise. It could be stress. Lots of reasons. Could be an autoimmune disease. A lot of things will drive um, high C-reactive protein. Next, the hemoglobin A1C. So now we're moving into blood sugar. So this is going to give you kind of what your blood sugar status is over the course of like 12 weeks. A fasting glucose. And you should ask for a fasting insulin. Again, they most likely won't do it. But man, if we can see what your fasting insulin is, ideally, I do not want your fasting insulin um, number above five, ideally um, under five, and definitely not above eight. Um, so that's when we start to see levels of insulin resistance. Then a thyroid panel. So again, this, these are blood labs. So I would love thyroid stimulating hormone, T4, T3, um, free T4, and free T3 if you can get them. Just if you've never had your thyroid labs done before and you're feeling foggy and tired and you're dealing with gut issues, and th- that's a reason to get your thyroid panel run. Especially in women in perimenopause and menopause, we see a greater number of thyroid issues because our thyroid just takes a big hit over our lifetime. So bonus ones that I would love that you can do on on blood um, is going to be uric acid. Again, another predictor of inflammation and insulin resistance. B12, um, folate, B9. So just checking your B vitamins. Um, Human growth factor. Love to know where you're at. Remember, human growth growth factor is a build-you-up hormone and really drives good metabolic health. If it is in the crapper, we know that your metabolism probably is too. Um, and again, again, the bonus one that I really love is fasting insulin. So now if you cannot get a fasting insulin and you want to know what's going on there, on that full lipid panel, divide your triglycerides by your HDL. So triglycerides on the top, HDL on the bottom, and anything under a two. So when you divide that and you get a number, that number is under two that's good. I mean, ideally, even under one is amazing. That shows you've got good insulin sensitivity. But if it's over two, definitely leading towards insulin resistance. If it's over 2.5, I am getting pretty concerned. 
So that's another way to kind of figure out if you've got insulin resistance without getting that fasting insulin test because it is so rare to get it. Then you want to dig into the sex hormones. Now, I'm not going to lie. Your primary probably won't run them and she probably won't run them at the right time. So if you really want to get a comprehensive look at your sex hormones, I'm talking estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but also, gosh, so much more. I recommend the Dutch Complete Test. Um, This test looks at sex hormones and their metabolites, the overall diurnal pattern of free cortisol and the total and the distribution of cortisol metabolites in addition to um, oats, which provides, which is going to be organic acid testing, provides insights into nutritional deficiencies, oxidative stress, gut dysbiosis, melatonin, neural inflammation, and more. So this test really gives you a comprehensive look at, are you dealing with estrogen dominance? Do you have any progesterone? Now, my recommendation is when you're testing for the Dutch, you want to test on day, usually basically the the week before your period. So the seven-day mark before your period. If it's a 28-day cycle, which who knows if, and you know, how many people actually have a 28-day cycle. But if it was a 28-day cycle, it would be day 20, like day 19 to 21 would be. And that's where your progesterone levels, estrogen, are kind of peaking in that part of the luteal phase. It just gives us more, it gives us information into what's going on with progesterone, which is what we really want to know, especially in perimenopause, because progesterone is one of the first hormones to drop um, precipitously after the age of like, you know, 35 years old. So important to know that. If you want to go into even more comprehensive functional testing, again, you're going to need a functional doctor to do this. It's going to be gut testing, like a GI map test, and a hair tissue mineral analysis. This will tell you what's going on with your minerals, if you're dealing with heavy metals, that's messing with your cellular function and your mitochondrial function. Now, if more comprehensive functional labs are hard to get or too much money, I get that, don't worry about it. Focus on the labs that you can get from your general practitioner. And if the big needle moving strategies that I'm gonna be sharing with you today, along with inside of my metabolism course, don't completely work, like they don't banish all of your symptoms, they don't shift your labs in a big way, then consider diving into the other labs, especially the gut lab, right? Because a lot of what's going on is your gut. Like I would say the two massive root causes that are driving so many diseases um, besides insulin resistance. So insulin resistance, um, deregulated hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. So your stress response system is super deregulated and you've got gut issues. And note that gut issues can cause insulin resistance and also Insulin can drive gut issues too. Also, stress can drive gut issues as well. And stress can drive insulin resistance. Man, that trifecta is is pretty crazy. And some of us are dealing with all three of them, right? So just note that. Um, Now, if you would love my comprehensive lab testing guide, I will have it in the show notes for this episode so that you can have it as a great reference guide. And just note that it's also in my metabolism and hormone reset course, along with the 30-day metabolism boosting program. Um, you will get this amazing epic bonus. It's how to fix your hormones bonus um, and the lab testing guide will be included. Um, You also inside the program get a metabolic assessment to figure out if you're dealing with any type of metabolic dysfunction, any of the markers are out along with labs and measurements to know where you stand. It's so important, especially in this time in our life to know if we are dealing with metabolic issues or not, to know what our our measurements are to determine this and to know what lab scores are. Like, what do our labs need to be at to be in optimal range? What, Where are they when we are kind of in the like yellow range of like, okay, we need to be paying attention to this. And what does it look like to be in the red? Like, what does it look like to be like, oh no, I really need to walk this back yesterday. That's all going to be included in the metabolism course as well. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. It's so important to know where you are in your health journey so that you can take appropriate action steps towards feeling amazing and reducing your risk of chronic disease. Moving into number two, tracking your menstrual cycle and know if you are ovulating. This is critical as you move through the three phases of perimenopause. Now over time, especially in your early to mid forties, the length of your cycle is going to shorten and it often takes place in the luteal phase of your cycle due to lower progesterone levels and more and ovulatory cycles, meaning cycles where you do not ovulate. Now, I know I've said this before and I'm going to say it again, but ovulation is the main event. And actually, this is literally what perimenopause is, is fewer and fewer 
ovulatory cycles where you actually ovulate till you get to menopause where you don't have any ovulatory cycles anymore and your ovaries have retired out and your sex hormones have basically retired out except for whatever your adrenals and your beta cells and your fat tissue are producing. So it's important to kind of know where you are regarding your menstrual cycle in perimenopause. Now, I know a lot of women will ask me, well, how do I even know if I'm ovulating? The best way to do that is every morning to measure your basal temperature, right? Take your temperature. And when you ovulate, your body temperature will rise a half a degree. And that's kind of when you know that you are headed into the luteal phase of your cycle where your basal metabolic rate goes up by half a degree. So that's how you know. And also cervical mucus is a great way of knowing. There's a a couple different indicators of knowing that you're actually ovulating and measuring your body temperature every single day is the best way. Also, you can obviously get uh, luteal strips. You You can look into, you know, ovulatory strips. That's another way to do it. But often we don't necessarily need to do that during perimenopause. But again, it's important to kind of know where you're at in your menstrual cycle journey. Now, there's a lot of things that you can do to optimize your menstrual cycle and to extend your reproductive longevity, which we want to extend as long as possible. But the only way to really adopt these changes is knowing where you are in your cycle. Now, if you're looking for an episode to help you optimize all four phases of your cycle, go check out episode 350 here on the show, which was titled Why Women Aren't Small Men and How to Navigate Poor Health Advice When You Have a Period. And the reason why I titled it this is that so many women are given such poor health advice when it comes to their menstrual cycle, especially knowing what's going on with their menstrual cycle. So I really wanted to give you a comprehensive episode that dug into what makes us unique biologically and how can we begin to optimize our superpower, also known as our menstrual cycle, to our advantage um, so that we feel really great at every different phase of our cycle. So again, go and check out episode 350, but just note that tracking your cycle and tracking ovulation is so critical for this particular part of our journey in perimenopause because it really begins to help you fill in the gaps of what is going on with your body and why um, you are noticing shifts and changes around, you know, PMS symptoms, you know, maybe estrogen dominance, potentially during your period, like it just gives you a lot more insight, especially when a lot of that is shifting and changing. The more that you can know about your body and your menstrual cycle throughout perimenopause, the better you're going to feel, the more empowered you're going to feel about what is happening in with the changes of your body. All right, let's move into number three. You know I had to get there and here it is. Number three, eat nutrient-dense foods. And I'm talking about metabolically healthy meals that focus on protein, fiber, and healthy plant-based fats, and also helps to feed the gut and protect the liver, right? We want to make sure that we are, that's what a metabolically healthy meal is, making sure that your liver and your gut are good to go, that your cells have the energy that they need, your blood sugar is balanced, and that you are reducing inflammation in the body. Now, the majority of my plate consists of fiber in the form of veggies, and I eat approximately 30 different plant foods per week. And the reason why I do that is I know how critical it is for um, microbiome diversity when we have big plant diversity. Also, I make sure that I eat fermented foods every single week along with lots and lots of fiber. I literally pour chia seeds on everything these days. Um, And a lot of the protein that we consume in our household where we aim for at least 30 grams of protein for every single meal, comes from fish, chicken, bison, lamb, and obviously it comes from plants too. Um, I find it super important to make sure that you're eating a healthy dose of seeds and sprouted, like sprouted chia, sprouted flax, um, and making sure that you are using good oil sources, things like olive oil and avocado oil, ghee, butter if you can tolerate it, you know, making sure that you are getting robust, good, healthy fats. Um, And I find that eating this way not only supports the gut, liver, and your hormones, but it also will keep your blood sugar stable. So if you are looking to create metabolically healthy meals, I do have episodes on this. I just recently did one just a couple weeks ago. 
But if you're looking specifically for recipes and a how-to guide and a meal plan and, and everything that you would need to really start to move in the direction of creating metabolically healthy meals that support your mitochondria, your cells, your hormones, your gut, your liver, and your overall longevity, I want you to make sure to go check out my metabolism and hormone reset course. I have over 75 recipes for you to make eating metabolically healthy meals super easy, along with a how-to guide. I mean, everything you could possibly want. And I offer all kinds of variations to make it so easy, like salad variations, bowl variations, smoothie variations. I mean, there's so many different recipes in there that you can pull from that will really become your mainstays for many years to come. And that leads me into probably one of the most important aspects of metabolically healthy meals is gonna be keeping your blood sugar balanced. One of the best ways to do this is to eat a savory breakfast. Here's the thing, like you go paint the picture of you've been fasting all night since dinner, and that first meal of the day is literally gonna set the tone for your gut health, your blood sugar, your mitochondria, your cellular health. And so what you eat to break your fast really, really matters. It, it really does matter more than when you do it is what you're actually going to consume when you break your fast. I am a big fan of circadian-based fasting, early time-restricted fasting, and I'm about to get into that in just a second. But I want you to know that kicking off your breakfast or that first meal of the day with a savory meal is so freaking important. It sets the tone for your metabolism for the rest of the day. And let me tell you, if you do start your day with a sugar breakfast, dessert for breakfast, that you will not recover from that. The blood sugar swings, the, the funkiness that's going to happen with your metabolism until the very next day. It's going to take a whole 24-hour to 36-hour cycle to reset your metabolism based on the, the you know vanilla latte or the full fruit smoothie or the oatmeal um, or the toast and jam or the croissant or the, you know, the whatever it may be, if it's full carb, if it's full sugar, if it's waffles or pancakes or whatever it may be, just note that it's going to take a hot second. If it's cold cereal, if it's even avocado toast, um, really any starchy carb is going to really kind of throw your metabolism and blood sugar into a tailspin. It's going to hit the hardest too in the morning for breakfast. So breakfast is should always be protein focused. Ideally, 30 grams to 40 grams in your first meal of the day um, with some healthy fats and veggies. It, it's often leftovers in my household because it makes it so easy, or it's a very fiber and protein-rich smoothie um, with cauliflower. I usually do frozen cauliflower florets, uh, about a half a cup of mixed berries, so I get those phytonutrients and the antioxidants and the, the micronutrients and a little bit of that fiber. Um, it is like two to three tablespoons of chia seeds because three tablespoons of chia seeds is 10 grams of fiber. So sign me up for that. Um, it is avocado, a half avocado. Sometimes it's a little bit of almond butter. Um, and it is usually 40 grams of protein powder. So that's usually my smoothie with, with water or sometimes unsweetened almond milk. And I just blend that up. I sprinkle more chia seeds on top of the smoothie. And that is usually how I start my day. So I am hitting all of those macros and the micronutrients and antioxidants, but especially I'm making sure that it is very, very fiber focused. So that's something to consider when it comes to keeping your blood sugar balanced. Note that I have so many episodes on blood sugar hacks. The, the metabolism course has so many blood sugar hacks built into the, the course recommendations, the program recommendations that make it so easy to implement. But again, savory breakfast one of my favorite ways to really set you up for success for the entire day. Number five, fiercely protect your sleep at all costs and have really good sleep hygiene because your blood sugar is more regulated when you get deep restful sleep. Your hormones are released when you get deep restful sleep. You feel more energized, more rested. You feel like you're able to function the next day when you get that deep restful sleep. You will notice a big shift in energy levels when you are consistent with your sleep routine. And what I mean by that is that you go to bed at the same time every single night, that you are consistent about your bedtime. And hopefully it is before 11 p.m. because there is something magical and scientific about 11 p.m. because that's really where 
we want melatonin levels to be soaring and, and really optimize so that you're able to stay asleep all the way through until you wake up the next day. If we do not have robust melatonin levels, not only can we not make the amount of mitochondria that we so desperately need in our body, because melatonin is a precursor for that, um, it, it, it's just a, it's a hormone driver for mitochondrial um, production. But also, when we start to experience those little, um, those bumps in cortisol in the early morning, like four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, as we are gearing up to get, to up level that cortisol awakening response, you may end up waking up at 3.30 in the morning or four o'clock in the morning because that cortisol hit that you get that starts ramping up towards your wake up time may have been enough um, to wake you up because you didn't have enough melatonin to carry you through the night. Especially if you have chronic stress issues, you have a deregulated stress response system, which is happening to so many of us these days because we have so much going on that we often have a lot of excess cortisol carrying through the nighttime and we don't have enough melatonin to get us through the entire night. So when we get that first hit of cortisol or maybe that second hit of cortisol in the early, early morning, it ends up waking us up way, way earlier than we expected. So I have so many women come to me and say, I just woke up at 4 a.m., just boom, I was fully awake and I couldn't go to sleep. And that's because that was a, that was a cortisol boost that was, that was not supposed to wake you up, but it was kind of like gearing up for the big cortisol awakening response. But if you didn't have enough melatonin and you weren't in that deep sleep, then that little bump in cortisol in the early morning is enough to unfortunately wake you up. So here's what I recommend. Note that first thing in the morning when you wake up, your body's already gearing up for sleep again because of you know your circadian rhythm. So my recommendation is within the first hour of waking up, get some sunlight in your eyes. Like make sure that you are outside in the sun, helping to regulate and reset your circadian rhythm. Next, make sure you're getting sunlight throughout the day. So take walks throughout the day, especially after meals to help stabilize your blood sugar levels, especially postprandial, right? Post-meal blood sugar and insulin. We want to keep those low and we want to keep that blood sugar curve as flat as possible. But then as you're getting ramping into the evening, try to have dinner by 7 p.m. so that you have three hours between dinner and going to bed where you are digesting um, and and so that by the time you're ready to go to bed, your body isn't working really hard to digest the rest of that meal. So usually we need three hours between the last meal of the day and when you're going to sleep. And often 7 p.m. is kind of that sweet spot. So ideally have dinner by 7 and then give yourself that three-hour break. Um, really start to wind down around 9.30. And I would say stop working two hours before bed and then no screens an hour before bed. So whatever rituals work for you, whether it's reading a book or listening to a sleep meditation, just make sure that you're not on screens. You know, anytime I cheat and I'm on my screens closer to bedtime, man, I feel it the next day. My sleep is just not as good. And then again, make sure that um, your room is dark, that it's cool enough um, so that you're not disturbed or just awakened by all of the, cr the crazy different types of you know, blue light inside of your room. So something to be really mindful of. Your room really should be for intimacy and it should be for sleep um, and for family cuddles, right? That's, that's what your room should be for. Um, don't have a lot of stuff going on in your room because it's just going to mess with your ability to get deep, restful sleep. All right, so those are my recommendations. Now, if you're having a hard time going to sleep, I recommend trying essential oils. So lavender, cedarwood, rose, clary sage are great oils to try, even Roman chamomile before bed. So I love having a little diffuser with oils or, or rolling some lavender on your feet is such a great way to kind of help tell the body and tell the brain that you're gearing up for sleep. That's what I love so much about, you know, essential oil scents is it can really let your body know, okay, hey, this is a cue to wind down. Also, I love my Essentially Whole Zen Sleep and Magnesium Restore. I recommend taking those about 45 minutes before bed. And here's the thing about Magnesium Glycinate, which is my Magnesium Restore. It's great for curbing mental chatter and anxiety, like anxious feelings. And my recommendation is um, usually 400 to 600 milligrams um, before bed, especially in the follicular phase of your cycle. But if you're a week out before your period, you know, that PMS week, um, heading into your period, 
I even recommend boosting your magnesium glycinate to about 800 grams to one gram. So 800 to 1,000 milligrams um, right at the end of the luteal phase of your cycle. You will find that you will sleep so much better. I find a lot of women have a lot of disrupted sleep that week prior to their period and the first couple of days of their period. So I always bump my magnesium restore up to about 750 to to about 1,000 milligrams right before bed. So something to consider. It works like a charm for me and so many other women. Um, So give it a go. Let me know what you think. The last thing I do um, before heading to bed at 9.15 is making sure that I have my meditation locked and loaded. So my goal is I want to be asleep by 10 p.m. So that means I really need to be in bed around 9.15. It takes about 45 minutes for us to wind down, right? It we. We don't just run into bed and then just fall asleep. I wish it worked that way. Maybe it worked that way when we were kids, but it definitely doesn't work that way as adults. So give yourself time to really wind down. Let your body know that is what you are planning to do. So a good a good time to aim to be asleep is 10 or 10.30, ideally before 11 p.m. That way you get the full extent of that deep restorative sleep and you get the full extent of melatonin that's going to pull you through the the rest of the night. All right. Next up, number six is move your body. So boost those cellular batteries. The first part of this when it comes to perimenopause is just just walk. Walk a minimum of 7,500 steps per day. Anywhere between 7,500 to 10,000 steps is amazing, preferably after meals. And then, especially because we start to lose muscle mass as early as our 30s, but it definitely starts to ramp up in our 40s. I don't want you losing muscle mass. Your your muscle is your metabolic sink. Your muscle is going to allow you to maintain longevity, endurance, and strength, and really have you functioning well into your 80s. So we want to maintain as much muscle mass as possible. Also, muscle allows you to boost your metabolic rate helps you to keep insulin sensitivity in check. There's so many freaking benefits. So one of my recommendations is not only resistance training three times a week for 30 minutes, but also lifting heavy heavy weights. So lift as heavy as you can lift and then continue to lift more progressively heavy weights over time. So we need to dispel the myth that lifting heavy weights is going to bulk us up. It's not true. But what is true is that lifting heavy, and I'm talking about a weight where six reps is your max, not 12 to 12, 10 to 12 reps is your max. Lifting heavy is key to a flat, flat belly, boosting metabolic flexibility, increasing strength and muscle mass. Whether you like it or not, we lose 20% of our strength by the time we are in menopause. And unless we work to maintain that strength, we will continue to lose it. Not only do we need our muscle for energy, strength, and endurance. It's imperative for stable blood sugar, heart health, and metabolic health. So this has been my big commitment this year is lifting heavier weights, and um, and it's going to continue to be my commitment. Next, this is kind of a part of, of eating um, healthy, but is this is number seven, which is adopt early time-restricted eating. So the newest research in JAMA that I've shared before suggests that if you're going to skip a meal, let it be dinner or aim for a smaller dinner earlier in the evening. So you've probably heard the statement, eat breakfast like a king or queen, lunch like a prince or princess, and dinner like a pauper. The goal is to eat when the sun comes up and finish eating when the sun goes down. Eating in line with your circadian rhythms can make for better weight management, as well as improve sleep, healthier blood sugar levels, and more, as I shared a little bit earlier. Now, this type of of fast is really called early time-restricted eating. And what I love about it is it is helping to manage the insulin resistance that we have in the evening, but also it's designed not to, it's just designed to restrict your eating window and it can just be a 12 hour restriction. So like if you have dinner at seven, then you don't eat again until 7 a.m., but you do not restrict calories. One of the things that we're really struggling with is too much intermittent fasting leads to not enough protein intake that can have a profound negative impact if we are strength training and lifting heavy weight. So we wanna make sure that we're getting enough protein, enough calories, to ensure that we're moving our body to maintain that that muscle mass. Um, And so again, early time-restricted eating is really that sweet spot of giving your mitochondria and your digestive system and your blood sugar a break while also, you know, addressing, you know, insulin resistance in the evening 
and uh, making sure that you're getting enough calories during the day. So this is what I'm, I'm most excited about educating is early time restricted eating, again, is all about eating earlier. So I, if you, I prefer to eat around 5.30, 6, 6.30 p.m. and then fast for about 12 to 14 hours uh, and then break that fast with a savory breakfast, that first meal of the day. So example, you know, if you are eating by seven, but you want to push it back a little, maybe have dinner by 6.30 and then plan to break your fast around 7.30 the next day. Um, So my personal eating window starts around 10 or 11 um, in the morning and ends around five or six um, every day. Um, It's an approximate like seven to eight hour window during the day. And if you can tolerate that and do that, it's not every single day of the week, but most days of the week, I'm able to do that. Um, And the benefits of early time restricted eating are controlling blood sugar, enhancing metabolic flexibility, fighting inflammation, enhancing heart health, weight loss and management, especially in perimenopause. Again, this doesn't become so critical when we're cycling in our 20s or even in our early 30s. But when we're in perimenopause and we're dealing with some metabolic issues, maybe insulin resistance and belly fat and stubborn weight gain, this can be really, really helpful. This can also be super helpful in menopause and postmenopause. Um, prevention of chronic conditions and enhanced sustainable energy. So that's what I love. Now, if you are just getting started with early time restricted eating, I want to share three ways to set you up for success when applying this type of fasting to your life and body. Number one, before you start fasting, make sure your last meal of the day is high in protein, low in sugar, or low in refined carbs. That way you don't activate your killer craving centers in your brain. This is especially true in the evening. How often have you wanted to start intermittent fasting, but you ate a really carb-heavy dinner, like a big pasta dinner, and then found yourself hungry later in the night before going to bed? Now, if your meal has adequate amounts of protein, you're going to feel fuller longer, along with adequate amounts of fiber, um, which is setting you up for success for a 12-plus hour circadian fast. It's important to get sufficient protein every single day. So you want to aim for 0.75 grams to 1 gram of protein per pound of body mass. So for instance, a woman weighing 130 pounds has body mass of about 130 pounds, 120 to 130 pounds. So I often recommend around 100 to 130 grams of protein per day. Number two, when it comes to a way to really set you up for early time restricted eating, when you break your fast first thing in the morning, ideally, again, in the morning when you're in a more thermogenic state, break your fast with a savory meal with protein, healthy fats, and fiber as I shared earlier. And then number three, eat between 25 and 35 grams of quality protein at each meal and even boost it even to 40 grams in the morning to kind of kick off your day. This really supports um, that heavy lifting part that I talked about and really supporting your metabolic health. We want to preserve our muscle mass as much as possible. And when you build out your meals, protein is always going to be critical. One of my best friends, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, recommends that we need to step our, our protein consumption by consuming that 0.75 to 1 gram of protein per pound of lean body mass. So again, protein-rich foods such as meat, fish, eggs, legumes, nuts, and seeds can help increase your metabolism for a few hours. This is because they require your body to use more energy to digest them. This is known as the thermic effect of food. Now, the thermic effect of food refers to the number of calories your body needs to digest, absorb, and process the nutrients of your meals. The research shows that protein-rich foods increase thermic effect the most. For example, they increase your metabolic rate by 15 to 30% compared with 5 to 10% for carbs and 0 to 3% for fats. Now, it's important to note that most women aren't getting enough protein, as I mentioned earlier, and it definitely has a profound impact as we are declining our muscle mass and we are declining our metabolic function. So just note, I feel like I've really made it clear that especially if you're going to do early time restricted eating, Um, and you're looking to balance your blood sugar and to support your muscle mass, that you're getting adequate amounts of protein. All right, next, which I believe this is number eight, is again, walk seven to 10,000 steps per day, which I mentioned earlier, ideally 15 to 20 minute walks after your biggest meals, but really getting where you fit in, right? The best time of the day to walk is anytime. Um, Morning is a great time to boost your circadian rhythms. Um, After meals will help you maintain stable blood sugar 
and in the evening for relaxation and increased metabolic flexibility. My recommendation to know if you're walking that many steps is to get a tracker like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch for accountability. I Again, I wear my Fitbit every single day along with my Whoop strap. And I right now I am at 12,000 steps for the day and it is almost 6 p.m. when I am recording this. So I'm about to go have dinner right after this. Next is take your supplements. These are non-negotiable when it comes to really supporting your cellular health. So my favorites are really the ones that I absolutely feel like you need to take are going to be magnesium, methylated B vitamins, omegas. I love Nordic natural omegas, vitamin D, uh, making sure that you're getting 5,000 IUs of vitamin D every single day, adaptogenic herbs like rhodiola, um, ashwagandha, holy basil, cassandra, um, American ginseng, Siberian ginseng. I have a lot of those in my adrenal love supplement digestive enzymes, probiotics. I love Just Thrive probiotics and a great liver detoxification blend like my Essentially Whole Liver Support. Now, I carry many of these supplements because I carry supplements that women absolutely need to function and feel amazing. And note that my supplements are of the highest quality standards and they have no gluten, no dairy, no corn, no soy, like no a whole lot of anything in them except for the actual vitamin and mineral and adaptogenic herbs designed to help you feel amazing. So definitely check out the Essentially Whole store to fill in the gaps. My supplements are made for women by a woman. So just know that, and they are of the highest, highest quality. So they're not the cheapest supplements on the market, but that's because they are going to move the needle on your labs. I cannot tell you how many hundreds and hundreds of women have sent me pre and post labs after taking my supplements and feeling amazing, losing weight, getting their energy back, getting deep restful sleep. I mean, uh, you know, reversing estrogen dominance and insulin resistance. I mean, the, the, the wins are just endless. And then last but not least, know that you are powerful and relevant and that you are a rock star at any age. This is the time to really up level who you are. It's the time to step into who you are going to be. Almost 50% of our life is spent um, in perimenopause and beyond. That's right. 50% of our life is spent in perimenopause and beyond. So who are you going to become and what do you want to accomplish, right? All of that is still on the table, right? There's so much that we still get to do and experience and just just feel so alive in. So the, the most important thing here is that you thrive, that you feel amazing because you're going to continue to learn and connect and create probably maybe some of the biggest things coming down the road for you. So honestly, there is no stopping you, right? Think about all the things that you've overcome so far. I promise you when you've got great metabolic health, when you've really dialed in your hormones throughout perimenopause, you are unstoppable. So own your power and support your body in becoming your best self. So now that you have my favorite game-changing pivots, And mind you, this isn't everything you need to know about navigating hormone changes in perimenopause, but it's a lot of what you need to know about navigating hormone changes in perimenopause. What I want you to know is that it's not just about navigating perimenopause and it's not just about being in your 40s. It's about living your best life all of the time and feeling great in your body and doing the things that you love. Having, experiencing spontaneous, joyful moments, having deep connection being with your besties in real time. That's what it's all about. And we we do that best when we are feeling healthy and energized. And that's what I want for you. I want you to thrive so that you can go and do the things that you love most that make life so sweet. I absolutely know that when we take control of our health and our healing journey and pull the right levers, not necessarily the hardest levers, but the right ones that I mentioned earlier and focus on our health as a priority, healing miracles are going to happen. That's a guarantee. I know because I have been there more than once and I 100% know it's possible to feel amazing and have enough energy to show up in the morning for everyone and throughout the day and feel like you have the capacity to live your mission without compromise. With all that said, I know how important it is to, it, it can be to really identify if there are hormones at play for any of the symptoms you may be experiencing. And it's important to know if you've got any metabolic issues that could be driving some of your symptoms as well. I know that it's important to have answers. I know it's important to be educated and feel empowered and to know what that next step is. 
That's why I'm recommending that you go and check out, you go and get my Metabolism and Hormone Reset course plus program, plus bonuses, plus all the things. Um, and the link is going to be in the show notes. It's just drmarisa.com slash metabolism course. And you will have lifetime access to everything you need to actually live younger, longer, and to address your most disruptive symptoms today. And the reason why I let you know that you've got lifetime access is that I'm already planning to add more modules, more bonuses to this course so that it really, it, it no stone left unturned because you deserve that. You deserve answers to whatever you're dealing with. You deserve solutions that actually move the needle and you deserve to feel empowered with that education so that maybe you share it with somebody else, right? We, we are so good at helping everyone else. It, it's time for us to focus on us so we can continue to do more of that. Now, if you love these tips today, if anything resonated with you in a really big way, please take a moment and subscribe to the show for more easy tips to heal your hormones and to upgrade your health. And if you've got an extra second, take a moment and rate the show. Give it a five-star review if you're loving it. That way, more women who are looking to become the CEO of their health, which I know that they're out there, they have a path towards this podcast that will hopefully offer them a lot of answers too. Until the next episode, have an amazing day.